Facing a crisis in your life or business? Take the helm and steer yourself in the right direction. It's time to take charge and make things happen with your host, Lynn McLaughlin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the last episode of Taking the Helm in 2020. That being said, though, our guest today, I'm thrilled to have him. Brett Weiss is here, and he's a doctor of physical therapy, a public speaker, co-founder and CEO of ErgoSesh. Brett also is an ergonomic specialist with over seven years of experience working with companies of all sizes, in person and virtually. Brett also, at the age of 28, had a day that changed his life forever, had a moment actually that changed his life forever, which he's also going to be speaking with us about today. Thanks for joining us, Brett. Really happy to be here. Thank you for, for having me. Well, we have a lot to talk about today. You're the first person that I've interviewed who's a physical therapist, but you've also had quite uh, an experience in your own life at the age of 28, which really, uh, as you describe it, um, the world literally stopped and everything was a blur in front of you. Yeah, so um, I was, uh... I was 28. Um, I remember uh, leaving work. Uh, I work in an outpatient practice in Manhattan at the time. Um, and, you know, leaving work at around three o'clock, actually, um, heading to uh, go to the doctor, to, to, to a dermatologist, just uh, to check in on something. Uh, you know, there was, a, there was a small patch on my thigh that had been there uh, for a few years during PT school. Um, and I was, my fiance at the time had um, suggested, well, like, let's go check into it because, you know, I had insurance then um, in the U.S., you know, if you don't have insurance, you, you think twice. So uh, I had, I had had, you know, a better policy. So I, I decided, all right, let's, let's go check into it. I had no symptoms or anything. Uh, so I went in and um, I went in and for a routine skin test, um, they took a, a swab of skin. They, when they see, and the doctor basically said, I'm going to send it to the lab to test for psoriasis or something, some other things that, that look like that. Uh, and so I, uh, I left the office and I kind of went on with my day and that was it. Um, so, you know, uh, that was, that was my first interaction. Um, from there, a week later, I went back to get the results. And um, so I was, I remember I was kind of on the bus ride from the Upper West Side of New York, going to the East Side to go to the, uh, to go pick up the results. And uh, I remember texting friends to set up things to do that night and kind of go out. It was Thursday night. Um, and, and I, I went into the appointment and, um, you know, I kind of walk in, the doctor walks in and he says, so the test came back negative for psoriasis. So I was relieved. And he said it came back positive for mycosis fungoides. And I was like, okay, this is some sort of fungus or something like, I don't, you know, like I figured put a cream on it or, uh, he said, no, it's a type of cancer. Um, and I was like, okay. So, yeah. So, so in that moment, you know, uh, just a little background. So my mother had breast cancer who's survived. She's fine now. Um, my grandfather passed from prostate cancer and spinal. Uh, so, you know, my version of, of cancer is, is in my mind is, you know, totally different than what ended up being this, but um, uh, I also work in healthcare. So I, I think I'm pretty level-headed with this. I think in the moment I said, okay, uh, what, you know, what is that? And I was like, you know, what stage is that? And he, and he, he just said, well, we should start treatment today. And I was like, okay. 
Um, so I, I, I think I was just in a blur, right? And um, I, I said, okay. So I, 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 I just kind of went along with the process. Um, within, there was a little conversation back and forth, no staging, no information. Uh, and within 10 minutes, I was getting treatment. Uh, I was in UV, uh, UVB radiation. Um, so it's a little, it's not, it's not the worst type for your, you know, treating things, but um, you're basically put in a um, standing tanning bed, basically, which sounds fine, but, but in reality, you just got diagnosed. Um, I did ask him if I was going to die flat out. Um, and he didn't respond. He just kind of said, we should start treating today. Um, and, uh, so, you know, you're told you have cancer, you're told, you know, you don't need the doctor didn't answer you about the dying or not. And, um, within minutes I was naked with a pillowcase over my head to, to protect your face. Right. Um, in a dark room. Um, and then the light hits you, you see like the blue shining through the pillowcase and you're naked like this standing spread out so that it hits everywhere. Uh, and it was 10 seconds, but it was like the longest 10 seconds of my life. Um, and then, you know, go back to the room, put your clothes back on. Nurse gave me um, the something to take to the front. And then I kind of paid my copay and left the building and kind of hit Manhattan streets. And, and I think that that was like very cinematic experience where like the world is just kind of rushing by you really quick. And, and you're just kind of like, dumbfounded just like blank um dumbfounded is is an understatement yeah i, just, I don't want to interrupt but i want to i want to unpack some of this because i mean there's just so much information you just shared you go in thinking you're going to just basically get results that'll tell you possibly you had eczema or some type of other of other skin condition and in a moment you're told you have cancer a word you've never heard before i'm sure you have really no idea what that diagnosis means <laughs> Uh, there are pros and cons to having treatment immediately, but you went into treatment with really not even understanding what staging you were in, what type of cancer it was, what other options you might have had, or even be able to talk to someone, your fiance, your mom. My, my goodness. Yeah, I, I walked out, I kind of pulled out my phone and uh, kind of stared at it for five minutes, like at the entrance to the building in, you know, York Avenue and 70th Street. It's busy. It's, it's not the busiest intersection, but it's New York, so it's, everything's. And uh, I just literally stood there and kind of stared at the phone and tried to think who could I call. Like I didn't want to call my fiance because I didn't want to like tell her this and have her deal with this right now. And I wanted to call my mom, but she, with her battle with breast cancer, I and her father passing from it, I from the other type, I didn't feel like she was the best person to call right away. Um, I ended up calling my sister-in-law, who's a nurse. Uh, my brother's a nurse too, but, but um, you know, she, I would say she, I, I guess in my mind, she was the, the most capable of handling it in the moment without the emotional attachment of, attached to it right away. Um, and then shortly after that, I made a couple more, and then I called my wife, then I called my mother. And then, um, then I, then my mother called her oncologist from New York um, and, who was amazing. Uh, and he, he, oh, he, he was a dermatologist. He, uh, basically told me, um, he's like, a, he, this is later that night kind of, but he, he said, you know, he said, are you sitting down? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay. He's like, you're probably with this staging later. I had found out 
that it was 1A um, later that day that, that I kind of dug a little deeper. Um, and he said, are you sitting down? I was like, yeah. He's like, okay, you're probably going to die at around 80 or 90 years old, but not mm. from this. <laughs> so I oh, think relief, was, relief. My goodness. I think it was what I needed to hear. It was the type of my, definitely my sense of humor. Um, and, and, uh, you know, and so from, yeah, from there, um, I just, I, every, every interaction I had from that point on was, was positive with people. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a rough day. <laughs> it was a, I would say. Well, and you know, it, it would have been a rough day regardless, but let us talk about the way that was handled. I mean, the way you were told with limited information, I mean, it was clearly, if you found out later that it was a stage 1A, why couldn't you have been told that right then and there? Why couldn't have you told, you been told the, you know, different treatment options, being given time? And also when they invited you to the, the office to give you the results, could they possibly have said, you might want to bring somebody with you? Sure, you'd be worried along the way, but you wouldn't have been there alone. I mean, I guess I'm asking all kinds of possibilities and I'll put it back to you, Brett. You know, what guiding words would you give to medical practitioners who are about to give this information to their patients so that they don't experience what you did on that day? Um, so the, 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 the doctor that first did the skin test, um, who I'm thankful to the fact that they checked the box for mycosis fungoides, it's a rare cancer. So uh, most dermatologists uh, apparently don't even know to look for this. It, it mis represents itself as psoriasis often. And so a lot of people just get treatment before they get diagnosis because they treat psoriasis with a steroid. So you give them a steroid cream on this too, and it kind of makes it go away, the spot. Um, and so then you get, you get mistreated for it as psoriasis for years, which macerates the skin. And then when they go to test for it, it may not come up. So a lot of people get false negatives. Mm. So I'm grateful to the fact that it was found in the first test, which is, what I've learned so far is very rare to find, which is great. Uh, he's not a specialist. This physician was not a specialist in, you know, and he was not, I don't believe he's an oncologist. I think he's a dermatologist, very good dermatologist that, you know, just probably took a lot of wrong roads in the diet, in the discussion part of it. Um, I think what would have been, yeah, I think, I think if you know that you're about to unload this type of gravity on somebody, then I think, yes, ahead of time, look at the, the lab result. Right. I think there's a very good chance it wasn't looked at till five minutes before walking in the room, which I can tell you as a, even as a healthcare practitioner myself, sometimes if it's a busy day, you'll look at the chart just prior to the session, you know, and, and that's, you know, there's some level of understanding on that, but I think with this type of thing, you pause, right? Like even in the moment you, you have to pause and reschedule if you have to, I don't know. But the point is, uh, I think it would have been good to, to know ahead of time, that's some, you know, something just to bring people. Um, I think that a referral to a specialist first would have been smart to identify um, or to bring in someone from a different area in the hospital or to uh, give me a pamphlet of some sort or to uh, point me in the direction of the cutaneous lymphoma foundation, which I found later through my own way. Um, I, yeah, I think some more information, um, and if not on the doctor's part, then at least on the hospital's part, potentially, like on the way out, for instance. Um, I had, they had no issue finding the bill, uh, but, but I got that pen. So the only thing I walked out with was a receipt for the $20 I paid as a copay. Um, and I think that 
an information packet. You know, maybe they don't have that for these types of things, but uh, a number, um, uh, a, a social worker, I don't know, something, some, some sort of a, you know, and maybe, you know, my handling of it was pretty level-headed the whole time, probably from the shock, but also, I mean, you know, I had, I had done rotations during school in hospitals. I had seen people die. I had, you know, I have had a lot of experience with disease, death, and, you know, I've treated patients in the hospitals that had, you know, different types of contagious diseases, like things like that. So I have been around it um, plenty. So I think that that numbed me a little bit to it. And maybe, you know, maybe that might've made someone think, well, they don't, this person doesn't, you know, need as much information, maybe. I, I don't know. So uh, certainly not validating it, but um, I also understand a lot of why it happened. Not that I think it should. But. Well, and there's pros and cons. I mean, first of all, let's, let's be clear. It was not life-threatening in that moment, right? right. If it had been and you were offered treatment immediately, okay, <laughs> you know, we can have a different conversation about that. But having your phototherapy right there in the moment, or if it had been delayed a couple of weeks until you saw a specialist, until you looked at your options, until you better understood the disease, right? I mean, so I think all of those things have to be taken into consideration by, by people who are making those decisions. And the fact that you handled it so level-headedly, um, I might not have, another listener might not, let, might not have based on her own histories. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was, but... Um... But moving on, I get, you know, since then, uh, honestly, things have been great. Like it's, um, it's, I learned that it is, you know, I was at stage 1A. I, I had, but they had later moved over to, to, to uh, Sloan Kettering, which is phenomenal. And everyone I met there was just top notch. Um, you know, so uh, it was stage 1A. They had found it like pretty much the earliest you can, I think. Um, only a few patches. Uh, you know, it presents differently in every person. Um, so some people have scaly patches that are itchy and dry. Some people, it responds with like different coloration. Um, it tends to be mostly in areas that are less driven to sunlight. So like people can get in armpits, like bathing suit area, stuff like that. Um, but for me, I had no, it was not scaly. Literally, you could, it was like you took a, a stencil of a cup and traced a circle. It was like a perfectly bordered circle of red and no other, and not even very bright red. So, and back of my thigh. So like, you know, you don't look down there too often, right? So, um, like two of them right next to each other. Um, later, a couple other spots came. Um, having said that, you know, so stage 1A, they say that like totally normal life expectancy it doesn't, it, it may never progress, like most likely never change to stage two. So that's awesome. Um, you know, I learned later that there are so many great things. If you're going to have some sort of cancer, like you, you kind of sounds horrible to say that, but like, you, this is not the, this is, you know, it, it, the right education would have completely cleared my mind differently. Right. So um, I've, taken that um, mindset into my own practice. You know, like I, I think that's a huge component of what I do is education, regardless of whether it's through ergonomics or um, online with people or with um, in, in clinic. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's super important. It's, yeah, it changes everything, right? Like, 
And now it's time for us to take a short break. This episode of Steering Through it is sponsored by Surge Active Wear. If you've been looking for custom athletic wear for all walks of life, from your local club to national and international teams, Surge Active Wear has been using high quality, lightweight performance fabrics with custom prints for over 10 years. If you're looking for athletic wear that will not just get you and your team noticed, but be comfortable and fit, trust me, visit surgeactivewear.com. And if you mention the acronym for our podcast name, Taking the Helm, TTH, you're going to get 15% off of your first order. Ryan's also going to be launching a new website in the next few weeks with additional items available, including new gloves. Now let's go back to our episode. Let's jump over to a major resource that you had, kind of a lifeline with the uh, Cutaneous Lymphoma Foundation. And you're also, we should mention to everyone, now relocated into Toronto, no longer living in, uh, in, in New York. Um, what difference did the Lymphoma Foundation make for you and your family? Yeah, CLF, uh, Cutaneous Lymphoma Foundation was unbelievable. Um, the, the, the second I, um, I think it started with a, an email. I just emailed the general line and... Um, I don't know how, but like the CEO emailed me back and then we called and then talked video and, um, and just like, and she was a patient at one time too. Um, so, uh, with a much more staged. So, and, and so I just, I mean, the level of, of personalization, like the level of attention that they were able to give one person was insane. It was insane. I've never, I have never experienced something like that, um, with any nonprofit and, uh, so just amazing. And they gave me like links to, to research. Cause I, you know, I'm, I'm very research driven. So instead of finding research on my own, they kind of sent me where to go on their website. They have tons of stuff, uh, tons of stuff. And, uh, they have little communities in each city where people can meet. And in, in the you know, non COVID world, I used to meet people once a week, I would go, um, and there was people that had just got diagnosed. We just talk. And the one thing I got from it was like the variability of the people, like, and it looked like a snapshot of the country. Like it was people of all different races, color, like everything and, and ages. Um, they say that the, the average person is a 40 to 60 year old African American male, but uh, that's not me. <laughs> so uh, I, you know, I, but then when I went to these things, I started to see that doesn't really fit the category. So um, yeah, I, I, I ended up, um, getting involved with them a little more. I, I spoke at two of their um, patient, like their, their patient um, meetings. Like we had these, these big meetings. One was in um, the West coast in the U S and, uh, and so that was just, it's really cool experience um, to kind of tell the story a little bit to, and since then I've had people from actually yesterday, literally just yesterday, someone um, in London just found me on Facebook through the video on YouTube that they have of, of my experience. And, Mm -hmm. um, I've had five or six now video calls with people that have just got diagnosed that are around my age bracket too. And just kind of look on there when you Google, cause when you Google mycosis fungoides image, it will scare you to death. <laughs> um, it's, it looks, you, you see the worst, right? When you Google image on any disease, you, you're going to end up seeing like the most progressed version of it. And this type of thing is a very visual thing, not inside the body. It's very outside. So the fear of it moving to your face, the fear of it moving to like their hands and, you know, and I'm in patient care. I mean, like, I mean, it would end up being okay, but it's a barrier. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, you know, so to be able to talk to people, um, 
you know, I've now, I'm, I'm now turning 35 in March. So I'm 30, 34. This is, I'm now a few years in and nothing's progressed. Uh, I've actually gone a few years without even treating it. Um, just managing it by like going in for a checkup once a year. Um, I have a cream that I'll use if, if I see something. Um, uh, and that's, that's kind of the, the, the one I wanted to kind of talk about because the, the hardest thing I think with this condition for me has been the, like the mental battle of treating it because it's cancer, but not being able to kind of feel comfortable talking about it as a cancer because it doesn't present, like it doesn't, it's not as immediate of danger. Um, you know, so like, it's not a car accident. It's desk injury down the line, right? From bad ergonomics. Like it's, it's the thing that's not like immediate danger necessarily. So there's this feeling like it's not worthy of it, but yet if you don't treat it that way, it can progress. Um, it's, you know, so I, it's a very weird mental battle there uh, that I think a lot of rare diseases share. I don't think it's just this, right? But you can't just aggressively treat it. You can't just um, get a surgery to remove something. You can't just inject something. You, you have to basically slowly watch it for your whole life. Um, and you treat it when it comes up, but it's just this thing, right? It's just this thing that you have to manage. Like so they, they kind of compare it to like managing diabetes where you have to always just like manage it and watch it. And so for someone that likes to kind of treat something and get on it, let's do it already. Let's, let's go all out. Right. I don't have the ability to do that. So you feel a little bit powerless in that and you have to take a back seat, which I, I don't like. So, um, I think that's, that's the most challenging thing, um, with, with being diagnosed with really any cancer like this, where you're in an early stage, it's not an immediate threat. Yeah. Oh, but you know, the downside, the upside of being diagnosed young is I can treat it now. And that's awesome. And I responded really well to it. Right. Uh, within three months, my lesion was, was gone from the phototherapy. And then it came back a little bit in the winter. It seems to be, um, I always have to check in the winter. It seems to always get a little bit worse when the light changes. Um, but the benefits of getting young, you know, diagnosed now is great. Like it didn't progress. We got it early kind of thing. The downside is I have to now be aware of this for the rest of my life. I don't have that ignorance anymore. Right. And I don't have that look in the mirror without get, checking your skin in the morning, like get out of a shower without looking for like new patches. Um, whereas if I got diagnosed at 60, maybe I would still be in stage one a, and maybe it never would have progressed. And I would have lived for 40 years without or whatever, without having to even think about that. Right. So it's kind of hard. Um, you know, the ignorance is bliss thing definitely applies to this type of staging and, and, you know, paired with this type of diagnosis where, where you can't, you can't just go fix it. Well, knowledge is power and yes. hearing the word cancer for anyone is life-changing. And I hope maybe now that you're speaking about that more and more and more, and, and this podcast will have people reaching out to you. I do hope you feel worthy. And I do hope that that changes in your mindset as one of empowerment and, you know, as opposed to what you've just explained. Thank you. Yeah. Now let's take this over now because you mentioned it earlier in, uh, in our conversation about uh, this experience has affected the way you do practice as a doctor of physical therapy. How have you taken what you've learned through this, the experience of being diagnosed um, with cancer 
into your practice as a physiotherapist? Everyone has a story. Everyone has something that happened or something that they're dealing with. Um, when people come to see you as a physical therapist or physiotherapist in the rest of the world, besides the U S um, they're not coming at their best and they're here for help, right? Um, they may be in a bad mood. They may be frustrated with billing before seeing you. They may be, uh, dealing with family issues. They may have a diagnosis that they just got. Like there's a lot of things that can happen to somebody and, I think it gave me a new appreciation for the empathy. I think it gave me new uh, appreciation to be more patient with patients. Um, but mostly it gave me the um, mindset that like, you know, patients need to be educated and they, they shouldn't be sold short. Um, an assumption in healthcare a lot is that the patient doesn't know much, so don't bombard them with information that they don't need. And the way that I practice is polar opposite. I would rather over-educate and over-bombard, but, but not bombard, but more take the time to actually teach someone something um, and let them leave my practice with a new skill, not just reduce their pain and not be a passive model where they're relying on me to get better. More like, I kind of think of myself as like a coach with awesome hands-on skills, as opposed to getting treated, you're working with the person. And I kind of use this with this kind of thing. Like I care a lot about my patient, but their body, but if they don't care more, then there's a problem here. Um, because at the end of the day, they will keep it. And, um, you know, so my goal with every session, uh, treatment, care, like plan of care is that the, the person hopefully does not have to return to me for the same thing. And if they do, it's quick. It's just a quick review. Um, but the changes we've made are, are here and then we'll represent in the body. Um, and, and, um, I think that that's the key. Um, I apply it to the ergonomics business we're doing, which is online. And that, um, it's the same idea. Um, typically the ergonomics field, um, for five years, I did it in, in offices, the typical way I show up. Um, business does not stop when I walk in the door at all. Right. So, um, no one that I saw was really, into it, right? They're kind of just like picking up a call and I'm just fixing up their desk and it's more of a passive process. Maybe they pay attention for a second. Um, the problem with that is within a few weeks, if not a week, all the things we did kind of just resort back to the way they were. And they're not really leaving that experience with anything. So um, Ergo Session is just all about education. Um, and it's hard to get that across, but the, 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 the tools we use to educate are ergonomics. So the furniture and all the pieces are tools to get the ultimate goal of like changing the way people think. Like, like you know, we, we get in a car and the first thing we do is set our seat and get comfortable and check our mirrors because the danger is apparent and it's right there in your face. But we sit in chairs for hours longer. We, we you know, we, we sit at our desks. We don't, we just sit down and go. We don't take a second to just kind of like just do a couple things to like physically get ourselves ready for the torment we're about to put through. Um, and, and I just got Especially so, as we all work from home over the last several months. <laughs> yeah. I got so frustrated in the, in the clinic working with people. And I just 
feel like I'm, I'm making progress and then I know they go to work and it's just polar opposites of everything we're trying to teach them. It's not a shock that most of the physical therapy exercises for common injuries that you get from work are just the opposite of what the, the things we do all day. So, you know, most of the shoulder exercises are always rotating out and rotating up and we spend all our day forward and down. So it's not a shock. So rather than treating it and giving someone homework, I just want to get in their home and change it so that I don't have to give them so much stuff to do. And I, and I always tell people like, it's, it's not that hard to sit well when you're set up to sit well. It's very easy to sit poorly when you're set up to sit poorly. So, you know, spending an hour or two, you know, I spend, we spend 90 minutes, but like a 90 minute session with somebody, like you can, you can, you have time, you can, you can educate them. They've blocked off that time, right? Like I know I have their attention for that 90 minutes and I know that I can find what, makes that person tick, just like I do in the clinic, to, to connect the dots between pain and what we see in the space. And, and when you make that connection with somebody in the clinic or here, uh, you could, it's, it's palpable and, um, and I love it. And it's like, it drives and it's like, I, I, I know in that moment that they don't have to remember it. They've changed something and they've made connection to two different things. And that is beautiful. Like that moment is, is, is the moment that I, you know, so it just, I think that just to go back, like I, getting diagnosed, not getting information, you know, I don't think anyone should be passively treated, period. I think, you know, you, if you're going to go seek care, forget about coming to me, like just if you're going to go seek care from a healthcare practitioner, you should be interested in knowing a little bit about what's going on, right? And they should be interested in giving you that information. So Brett, in February, it will have been seven years since that horrific day. And boy, has your life had some amazing changes. Tell us what's happening. Yeah, so uh, um, since then, I, 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 I did get married. Um, I will tell you that the goal of my treatment on the first, the first time I started treatment was to, to be able to, to have my wedding and then go on a honeymoon in Hawaii with no lesions. And since I had like six months, I did. So that, that actually was amazing. Um, since then, uh, yeah, got married, um, had a dog, got a dog two years ago. Um, we moved to Toronto in August with our twins. We had identical twins in February, uh, right before the pandemic hit, um, in New York. Um, and, uh, things have been great. Like in general, started a business, been practicing, still practicing physical therapy. I'm working in two locations in, uh, in Toronto, uh, one's in, uh, it's called Body Co, and it's in Junction in Toronto, and the other one's uh, Russell Hill Chiropractic and Natural Health in Forest Hill. Um, and so two different places just to, to work, kind of spread out a little more um, the city, but yeah, things are great. Like um, really, like, you know, you can call it clinical remission, whatever you want to call it, but um, I'm managing it well. Uh, other than talking here and other than when people reach out, it's not a part of my life. I don't, check every day anymore. Um, I don't, you know, I kind of just check in once in a while. My wife might say something if she sees something. And if it does come up, I put a cream on and it seems to work pretty quickly. So, um, you know, I, I've, I've had a pretty good experience with this if you have to have it. Um, so I think that for anyone that just got diagnosed, um, I will tell you that in my experience, the light at the end of the tunnel is a very short tunnel. Um, it's the mental tunnel. It's a tunnel that you just need to get through. Um, and get on with it in a way. Um, and so um, in, my, in my experience, it's been that. Um, it is not like that for everyone. And different stages are totally different, but 
in this stage with what I have, where from my from my experience, it was um, things are I have a totally normal life, if you want to call it normal, it is normal, but my, my life has, has become not changed at all from this um, at this point, but it was a journey to get here. But um, I think everyone has to go through it their own way. Um, in my case, it, it, it worked out fine and, and uh, two beautiful kids. Well, I appreciate you sharing your experience and uh, your, your journey and where you are today, Brett. And uh, anyone who wants to reach Brett, you can go to ergosesh, E-R-G-O-S-E-S-H.com and you'll be able to find him. Now, Brett, you also do online though. It's not just the two physical locations that you talked about in Toronto, correct? Yes, uh, we, we do teletherapy online. Um, um, and you can email me, brett at ergosesh.com. Um, you know, for, for anything. And then I can, I can help people kind of, if they do want to come um, for physical therapy, they can, they can come to those locations in, in person. Um, but we are, we are open right now where we're working through as essential service. Um, and yeah, no, the, the ergonomics is, is completely remote. Um, it was remote before COVID. Um, and it, and it really is because people's environment are totally different, right? So every house is different. So you, you really need to get into that one home and um, the best part about it is that the person is doing the changes themselves. And so in doing that, you learn, right? So, um, yeah. Excellent. And there you have it, our last episode of Taking the Helm for 2020. In February, we are celebrating our one-year anniversary. It's so hard to believe. It's been an amazing year. We've met so many change agents, people who've experienced a crisis or crises in their business or personal life. And wow, have they ever overcome just as Brett has our guest today. So if you'd like to think about a sponsorship, we've got a special package happening for January and February leading up to that anniversary celebration. Uh, Taking the Helm is a podcast series that is dedicated to helping people change their lives with wisdom and inspiration. So if you'd like your business to be recognized by the demographics of like-minded clients, sponsor this podcast. I'd love to hear from you. And on that note, everyone, happy new years tomorrow, welcoming in 2021 with hope. Stay healthy and safe. Thanks for listening. To learn more from people who are steering in the right direction, go to lynnmclaughlin.com and search the archives of every interview or subscribe to this podcast feed. A new episode is published every Wednesday.